Amen. Thank you, James. I don't care if it's slick rhetoric, it feels good, so <laughs> let's go on, man. Hey, we're continuing our series in Nehemiah. We're titling it Arise and Build. And Nehemiah's known for building a wall, but really Nehemiah's heart was about building people. And that's what the river is about. That's what this community is about. That's what all the ministries are about is building people. And you're part of that. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1, Todd preached on that last week, Nehemiah was confronted with what we're calling a Kairos moment. Let's show that up on the screen there. A Kairos moment is a moment in time where God, no, you don't need to turn the lights yet. That's all right. It's a moment in time where God breaks into our lives. It's like we're confronted with a challenge. There's a burden that approaches us. There's some problem that is happening. There's some thought that God puts in our mind. And the red X is that Kairos moment. You can ignore it. You can push it aside and just go along with your life. Or you can enter into the learning circle. In that moment, you ask two questions. The first question is on the left side of the circle. I'm sorry, the right side of the circle. And that is, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me, God? And that's chapter one. That's prayer. That's what we looked at last week. In a Kairos moment, you stop and you ask God, what are you saying to me in this moment? That's prayer. And then if you move around the circle, you got to go to the second question. And that is, God, what do you want me to do about it? What do you want me to do about this in this moment? And I'm going to suggest that's planning. Prayer and planning. Chapter 1 is prayer. That's where we start. Chapter 2 is planning. And that's what we're going to look at today. Kairos moment. What's God saying to you? What's the burden that God is birthing in your heart? What is the problem you see out there that you have this sense something needs to be done about this? That may be your Kairos moment. Now, sometimes they're quick, they're fast. You got to solve it right away. You stop in your tracks, you pray. God gives you insight and you make something happen. Other times, a Kairos moment, it takes a long time as you pray and then as you plan. We're in the beginning of Nehemiah. This is what I want to call the preparation time. Chapter one, chapter two. Preparation is so, so important. I would say that to those of you that are students. You're in the preparation phase of life where you're learning and you're, you're developing critical thinking skills and you're asking questions and you're beginning to solve problems. But really, we're in this phase our whole lives. When you take on a big project, you got to start with preparation. Praying and planning. The two sides of the Kairos moment, they're not in opposition to one another. In fact, they're partners. Praying and planning are partners. You start with praying, and praying grows into planning. What do you want me to do about it? Implementation without preparation leads to confusion. You've maybe seen that in your workplace or any project that you've taken. If you don't do good preparation, you just like, you know, ready, fire, and then aim, it just confuses and frustrates everybody, right? 
I remember when I was a youth pastor, we had a giant winter camp, and we had like seven buses in the parking lot. I think Chrissy and Bo and Katie and Tiffany, I think, I think you were all in the parking lot, and all the parents are there, and we're about to load the buses, and we're so excited, this vision for winter camp this weekend. We discovered that in our bad preparation, we'd reserved enough buses to match the number of students that were going, but we forgot about all the adult leaders. We were like short 40 seats on the buses and we're ready to go. Talk about confusion and then a lack of confidence in our leadership. So preparation is really important. Praying and planning are really important. And Nehemiah 2, where we're at this morning, gives us a sort of a planning process. Five steps to it that you can apply to any particular problem that you're facing. Number one, identify the problem. Number two, design a solution. Number three, make it personal. Number four, motivate strategic partners. And finally, follow divine direction. You got to identify the problem. That's what Nehemiah did. Leaders tackle problems with effective solutions. Starts in prayer, moves to planning. And the first chapter is in the month of Kislev, which is December. When we start chapter two, we're in the month of Nisan. That's four months. Leaders tackle problems. It's four months. He didn't just get out there and make it happen. He took time to pray, to really think it through. Nehemiah was an influential leader in the Persian Empire. And he was part of that group that had been ripped from his homeland and now were in the capital, Susa. And Nehemiah's brothers come and Nehemiah says, tell me, how are my, how are my family doing back in Jerusalem? How, how are the other, the exiles, the remnant that's left? And they gave him this, this horrible news that the city is broken down, the walls are destroyed, the temple's down, everything is a mess. And, and the people are in great distress and disgrace. What did Nehemiah do? He got on his knees, he prayed, he fasted, he mourned. During those four months, this burden was growing deep inside of him. Something has to be done. But you got to start by really identifying what that problem is. It was his Kairos moment when his brothers came. Wow, the reality set in. You got to start with what's real, what's really happening. What is happening in your world, our world today, that has stopped you in your tracks? It's your Kairos moment. Nehemiah started with prayer, but then he clearly identified that problem. He's at a festival, verse 1. And he's the cupbearer to the king, so there's wine brought to the king. He takes the wine and brings it to the king. And notice that the king looks at Nehemiah and says, wait a minute, hey, I'm throwing a party here, and you're a downer. You're bringing this down. Why is your face so sad? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah was depressed and broken. Founder of World Visions, Bob Pierce he had a similar Kairos moment and his prayer is famous prayer. Bob Pierce, he said, God, break my heart with the things that break yours. 
May, may, may I bleed, may I cry, may I fast and mourn and pray, God, about the things that really, really move you. So what's your burden? What, what are you praying about? What are you coming before God with in your life? Could be small, could be something massive, could be something that you feel like you can never get by. Notice at the end of verse 2, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. Now think about burdens. I think about passion. A passionless person is really just taking up space. Don't you want the world to grip your heart with something that causes you to wake up in the morning and say something has to be done about this? And it starts with identifying specifically what the problem is. I was very much afraid. And then notice what he says in verse 3. He clearly articulates the problem to the king. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruined and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He nails it. It's succinct. It's clear. But you just don't complain about problems. You just don't talk about the problems in the world and watch the news and say, what's happening to our world? And then you just become a negative complainer. No, you identify a problem, but then you design a solution. Complaining about problems is never enough. We have to solve them. That's much better. And so Nehemiah in front of the king comes to a moment of truth. It's a moment that we often come to where we have an opportunity, where our heart has been burdened. There's a problem that's keeping us awake at night. It wakes us up in the morning. We want something done about it. And then you get an opportunity, a moment to do something about it. And the king says to Nehemiah, verse 4, what is it you want? Are you ready for that question? We've been complaining. We've been frustrated. We've been angry. And then someone asks the question, well, what is it that you want? Sometimes it takes four months in prayer to really identify what is it that you really want. Not, not what everyone else wants. Not what your parents think you should do. Not what your boss is like, you know, complaining about these people and that. No, what, what is in your heart? What is God doing with you with solving this particular problem? And Nehemiah has a chance to give his elevator speech. Ever noticed how sometimes that happens? You got three minutes with your boss to make the proposal. And you better nail it in that moment or it's gone. Nehemiah's given a cup of wine. It's in the midst of a party, the festivities. He's all depressed. And the king says, well, tell me, what, what do you want? And man, he better be ready with the plan because the king actually could kick him out of the room or send him to jail or fire him or say, I'm not going to change your grade. You just have a moment. And there has to be a moment of clarity because your boss doesn't want problems your boss wants solutions don't come and complain and tell them everything that's wrong no come with a solution be ready with that opportunity 
And what does he do at the end of verse 4 there? He says, then I prayed. When your moment of opportunity comes, you shoot a quick prayer up to God. But it's not the only prayer. It's a prayer that summarizes four months of being before God in your prayer and your planning. And then look at verse 5. Nehemiah was ready in the moment. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him, here's a solution, send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. That's my mission. That's my solution. I want to go and rebuild the city. Now, there's all sorts of political backstory to this as to why it was in Artaxerxes' favor to send his cupbearer as a governor back to the province of Judah and rebuild this city. And Nehemiah articulated it. The boss understood it. That's our vision at the river, to keep rebuilding lives, keep giving opportunities for people to come to know Jesus and to find their hope in their heart in him. It's why we gather. It's why we worship. It's why we build relationships. It's why we have babies. That's the reason. So that our babies can grow up in an environment where they can look at those older than them and go, you know what? I want that kind of relationship with God. Because those are people in the midst of a world with lots of problems they know how to put their trust in God. That's why we're here. You ready for that moment? Those moments are a little bit scary. When you're going to make your proposal before the king to identify the problem and the solution. And it's scary. I want to show you a little film clip from... I bought a zoo. Do you like that film? Brad, uh, what, I mean, Matt Damon, you know, is in the, he's Benjamin Mee. And he has a son named Dylan. And Dylan, his young son, has broken up with his girlfriend, Lily. There's been this terrible misunderstanding. And the son doesn't know what to do. And Benjamin Mee gives this very short, helpful bit of advice that we can use in the moment of truth with those around us. Let's just take a look at it. What happened with you and Lily? I don't know. I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something. And you embarrass yourself if you don't. You know... Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. Twenty seconds of courage. You ever been in those moments where you know you gotta talk to someone, it's difficult, it's a hard conversation? I had a counselor once told me, gave me great advice, said, when you're going to have that conversation, write it out. Write down what you're going to say in advance and practice it. And then it's 20 seconds of insane bravery of just getting it out there. But the 20 seconds for Nehemiah was on top of four months of praying 
and planning. And then the moment came, 20 seconds, you start the conversation and then it all goes. It all flows from there. The king heard him. The king gave him favor. He said in verse 6, well, hey, how long are you going to be gone? And you know what? Nehemiah had already thought it through. He knew how long the project was going to take, and he told the king. And now he was feeling pretty good. Look at verse 7. He says, oh, well, in that case, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. He wanted letters from the king when he went to these enemy governors who had no interest in Jerusalem being rebuilt, that he would have the backing of the king. You ever gone down the road of a project and you got all excited about what you were going to do and then someone said, well, do you have letters? Do you have authorization? You go, no. And they say, well, go back and get your letters. Maybe you filled out college applications and you missed a really important step in the process. Go back. Get your letters. And then come back and talk to me. So the king gave him letters and then he goes, well, hey, how about this too? May I have a letter to Asaph? He's the keeper of the royal park. I guess that was the national forest, the national park in those days, Artaxerxes timber, so that He'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. Nehemiah had thought the plan through so carefully that he already knew what his supply list was before he went, and he knew he could ask the king for help with that. He had a solution to the problem. But then, thirdly, he made it personal. Notice in verse 5, if it pleases the king, let him send me. It's one thing to identify a problem and say somebody should do something about that. And then we just complain about the other people who aren't doing anything about it. And Nehemiah knew that at times you got to make it personal. You got to say, you know what, I'm, I am part of the solution to solving this problem. I'm going. Send me. Dangerous journey though it was, send me because I'm going to rebuild the city. There's a pastor in North Carolina, Jim Pennington, senior pastor of the Temple Church in New Bern. You heard them in the news with the hurricane. Dangerous time. He, as a pastor, went out and helped pull 30 people out of the floodwaters in the first few days of Florence. And New York Times was noticing the churches were like, they were getting involved. They went down and interviewed some people. And this is what Pastor Pennington said to the New York Times. It is easy to say, I love God, but put on your boots. Get your hands dirty. Isn't that great? You know, solving problems means there's going to be a cost to me personally. One of the greatest speeches by a former president was... Teddy Roosevelt in Paris, France, April 23rd, 1910. Here's just a portion of it. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, 
whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. And this last phrase, Miley Cyrus has tattooed on her left forearm. Get this so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Jesus gave us a great commission. He said, you've got this good news, now take it everywhere to the whole world so that people might know who I am, might understand, and might obey all that I have taught. He's given us an amazing mission, and we don't just talk about it. We make it personal. Verse 9, he says, so I went, I gave the letters to the governor, so I went. Comes a time when you got to pull the trigger. Comes a time when you realize, hey, it's, it's, it's go time right now. I'm, I'm going. No more talking, no more praying, no more planning. I'm, I'm going to pull the trigger. Sometimes you got to, you got to hit send. You got to, you got you to gotta post. You got to do something. Time to publish. So he goes to Jerusalem, and it says in verse 11 that he was there for three days, did nothing. Three more days of waiting, maturing, being ready. Then verse 12, I set out during the night with a few others. Secret vision at nighttime. What is Nehemiah doing? He had a plan in his mind, but now he needs to refine it, fine-tune the plan. He's all in. Now it's up close and personal. I need to see with my own eyes what is happening with this problem. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. You know, we have all these ideas, and sometimes we want to just throw all the ideas out and see where they stick. That's fine once in a while. But sometimes we have to keep it, keep it to ourselves. Hold on to it between you and God. Let it mature. Let it marinate in the Holy Spirit's guidance and speaking to you. Think deeply. Then it goes on to say in verse 13 that he went and he made a personal inspection, an examination of the wall to just see exactly what it looked like. And verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any of the others who would do, be doing the work. You know, sometimes in leadership, it's what is behind the scenes that is far more important than anything that's visible in the public arena. In fact, what we are in private between us and God as we pray and as we plan and as we think and as we study, that becomes the foundation for what then is made available when the vision 
goes public. Are you really ready? The fourth step is to motivate strategic partners because eventually you need some friends to do it with you, right? The river is a place where we're determined that no one should live life alone. And when we jump into the arena, when we go through dangerous territory, when we're going to solve big problems, we need people with us. We need prayer partners. We need strategic partners. And we need to motivate them, not just any people, but people that will say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you in this. When you have a challenge in your life, you know there's a couple people that are in it with you. You develop a team. In verse 17, finally, he says to the officials and to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and any of the people doing the work, he says to them, sit down, I have something to tell you. I have a proposal for you. And I want you to notice how he goes through these steps again. He identifies the problem, he proposes a, a, a solution. He is part of it with them, and then he invites them to join us and join him in the process. You see the trouble we, he identifies with them. You see the trouble we're in? Here's the problem. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, here's the solution and the invitation. Let us, not, not just you, but but let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and here's the clincher, and we will no longer be in disgrace. We'll no longer be in disgrace. That's where the solution gets at the heart of those he's listening to. The motivation came because Burdens from God cause us to see where there's no grace and we're prompted to bring grace into that moment in that situation. Disgrace is the absence of God's love, his dignity, his grace. The fifth step really permeates all of them, follow divine direction. Nehemiah was a man who listened to God's heart. His heart broke with the things that broke God's heart. You see in verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. Nehemiah knew that it was God's hand that was guiding him. And he says, and what the king had said to me. Verse 11 in chapter 1, Nehemiah prayed, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. Give your servant success. I want to follow your leading, O oh God. I don't want to move outside of what you're guiding me to do. Verse 8 of chapter 2, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Never forget that kings are led by God. Or maybe I should clarify that. Let me say that kings can be changed by God. That's not our job. Nehemiah didn't have a hope in the world that he could go and change 
the king's mind, but it was the gracious hand of God. And then the end of verse 12, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. This whole thing was initiated by God. And these people are sitting there listening to this compelling invitation that change is actually possible. This problem that we're living with could actually be remedied because here is a person who is bold and willing to step in and guide and lead us, and I want to be part of that. I want to be part of something that's bigger than me, something that's, that's, that's grander than what I could possibly do on my own. But when people gather together and their hearts are unified and they feel as if God is guiding them, man, let's go, let's do it and see what they say. They replied, verse 18, let us start rebuilding. When do we get to go? And so they began this good work. We think the river is good work. And what's so exciting about the river is that there's so many good works that are dreamed up and prayed up and planned up by you. And the river is not the kind of place where somebody dreams up a plan to solve a problem and then calls, you know, Todd and says, hey, Todd, I got this problem I've identified and I got a solution and you're the solution. We want the river church to, to, to fix this. And you know what the answer is? No. No, 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 that, that's not our burden. We might share in that burden with you, but this is your burden. You take it. You pray and you plan. And you get a team. We're going we're gonna to do this together, a good work. There are so many good works that flow out of the, the incredibly devoted, courageous people of the river. And one of those has been dreamed up and fueled by Katrine Cooper. Katrine, will you come up here? I just thought we'd have her. I thought we'd have her come share about her dream, her burden. Okay, so I you. think in the movie they talked about 20 seconds. Well, Bill gave me five minutes so of courage, so here I am. Okay, right. Um, so what I heard what Bill was kind of saying was, um, what is it you want? You know, what is it we want? And um, my planning was really in my praying. So they kind of went together, and I, I wanted to be fulfilled in what I wanted to do for God. But at the same time, um, I wanted to serve God. And so how am I going to do that? So I, um, I thought, um, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to go? And so I came across, across Mark Batterson's book, The Prayer Circle, because I needed accountability in my life to pray over the things that God wanted me to fulfill in my life. So um, basically, it started with, um, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So that was Psalm 32.8. And um, all of this truly... Um, started I mean we're all getting older I'm getting older you guys are still super young so your dreams are just starting but um, he kind of Henry Nguyen kind of inspired me um, 
to look at it from where God is going to lead me in the next chapter of my life, really. Um, and he wrote, there's a time to act, a time to wait, and a time to be led. When we are young, we want to act and hold everything in our own hands. But when we grow old or more spiritual mature, we learn to wait to open our hands in prayer and let ourselves be led where we would rather not go. And so John 21, 18 kind of says this, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will um, gird you and bring you where you do not want to go. So I thought, okay, well, I got to pray over this. I have desires. I, I, I'm a photographer and I want to do certain things with it. But like Bill said, you know, we have things that we want to do and we'll see if they stick. And I thought, well, let's see if prayer can get me a little closer. So I prayed every day and there was a lot of discouragement that comes because I'm sure we all have prayed and we didn't feel God was really answering our prayer. We didn't hear from him. And so I kept just going through Psalm 5, you know, give ear to my word and Lord and consider my groaning, like to really lean into this, is, this matters to me. Where I want to serve and to serve our Lord was really important to me at that time. And so uh, I held fast to his word, fast to his word and his truth and his promises during this time. And, and Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. So I had all these promises, these sweet little things that kept me going on my path. And then there was a change in my prayers, which I thought was really interesting because it was always what I wanted. And then it changed into, Lord, surprise me. Show me what you want to do for me. Show me how you're going to show up in my life. And um, make, me, make my path straight. So start and turn my inside, work from my insides to my outsides. And give me the desires of my heart. Because I think he wants us to be joyful. You know, we, he wants us where he needs us, but there's a lot of joy that's supposed to come with that. And then there was a really big change, and it was, let me be obedient to you. So I think that was a big nugget. And show me what it feels to be obedient in your name. Like, what does that really look like? And so he put me on this path of getting your hands dirty, as Bill said, and it was really to love people and love them unconditionally. And, um, and there was a lot of weird things. Like when we're talking about our spiritual gifts later in October, like serving people is not one of my gifts. Just let it say that. It's not my gift, okay? I don't like to cook for people. I don't like to show up for people. It's just not what I do really. But God really showed me that, guess what? This is what it means to be obedient to me. So I don't know if you know the Wendorfs, their house burned down. And he asked me to go over there and reclaim their belongings and clean up for them. So I would have never done that. Um, another thing was um, serving Todd and Denise when they needed encouragement, when life was really hard for them. And, um, and Joe, you know, coming alongside Joe, who's been really sick, and... Um, Sitting with him in silence, and that's a, such an uncomfortable place for me. I mean, to sit with somebody who's not really talking to you. 
it's really uncomfortable. So in all these things, he really showed me how to serve him. And throughout of the serving came this unexpected fill of what my prayer was originally all about, which was like, Lord, where do you want me to serve you? And I stumbled upon this organization called Reignite Hope, which is down in Gardena. I know nothing about welding, so it's a teaching, a trading welding school that gets men and women, and you told me how to do this, here we go, men and women off the streets to um, give them a trade of welding, to give them hope, to give them a family um, to belong to for a while, and to set them up with a job and um, a future. So I've been involved there. There's lots of people in the room here that have um, served with me alongside. I think I got all my grounded group to rally with me and provide food and stuff. There's many people and many faces that have given their time and everything. And I'm really grateful for that. But that's that wasn't really my vision. I just had something in my heart that I wanted to serve, but how this actually is going to pan out, I had no idea. So um, what I wanted to close with, really, is um, find out what your what is and then go for it, you know? And it looks different for everybody, And what I learned, and I'm coming back to Henry Nguyen, and that's kind of how I want to close with, is the question of where to live and what to do is really insignificant compared to the question of how to keep the eyes of my heart focused on the Lord. And that's really all I wanted to do. So, thank you. Okay. All right. Okay.